Amen. Thank you to Jason and the team. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here this morning. For my Reformed friends, happy Reformation Day. Uh, for the rest of you, I hope you get a good haul of candy tonight. Uh, with it being Halloween, I do want to remind you that our Sunday school uh, have invited the kids to come dressed up this morning. Uh, and so you'll see a bunch of kids dressed up running around the activity hall. Uh, I was kind of reminded, or I remembered, I should say, that about two or three years ago, I was standing in the activity hall after the service, chatting with somebody, and Satan came running past us uh, about this high, kind of. And, and I thought, hmm. The church really has come a long way. Uh, and so if that perturbs you, I don't know what the kids are dressed up as this morning. If that perturbs you, pray for that child's family. If that is your child's family, I mean no offense. We love you. Jesus loves you. And I'm just glad you and little Satan are here this morning. Um, but yeah, it promises to be a great day this evening. The weather is awesome, uh, and we are just looking forward to welcoming our community as we seek to impact our community. Last year, we had around 500 people come through. Uh, there was a point where people were cute lining up for nearly 45 minutes or somewhere in that ballpark. And people just loved it. So today we're, we, we know it's going to be bigger. Uh, I wish I, sh I should have taken a photo of the office. I think we've got close to 20,000 pieces of candy uh, in one of the office there. And I know we're going to give that away tonight. So amen. It's going to be awesome. Uh, before I dive in, just kind of by way of announcements. Uh, this is one of those important family matters or church family matters. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we announced that both Marvin and Jason will be leaving us at the end of November, uh, and so we will kind of celebrate them, and we will honor them in the next couple of weeks as we pray for them, as we set them apart, as we kind of let them go, as, as kind of God leads them into their next season. Uh, and obviously, that's going to create a couple of gaps within ministry, within the office, and we know that, the, the board knows that, uh, the subcommittee of the HR team knows that, we as a pastoral team know that. So we're kind of journeying through how we fill that gap in the next couple of months, uh, we are anticipating that at least for sort of two or three months, kind of December, January, February, we're likely to have a gap there. Uh, and so if you are perhaps uh, financially inclined as a bookkeeper or something like that, and maybe you're retired and you would be willing to volunteer just for a couple of hours a week just to take care of some of the bookkeeping stuff, uh, just to help us in the office in that regard, please come and chat to either David North on the board Donna Ogilvie is the HR team leader, or myself, let us know. We'd love to kind of find somebody to step into that gap just for a couple of months while we find the full-time person. So if, if that's you, come and chat to one of us. We'd love to kind of keep things going fairly smoothly uh, as they can. But while I'm talking about that, that you might kind of go, okay, well, what's coming over the next few weeks? You know, last week we finished off a series on the Holy Spirit, and it felt like we just started the series on the Holy Spirit, and, and, and we kind of want to get back there. We will get there in four weeks' time, Sunday, the 28th of November. Take a deep breath. That is the first Sunday of Advent. I don't know about you, but I still kind of feel like I'm stuck somewhere in March 2020. 
and we're talking about Advent 2021. Uh, that Sunday, the 28th of November, is going to be an awesome Sunday for us as White Rock Baptist Church because that Sunday is our ordination service for Pastor Jennifer and for Peter Anderson as we officially ordain them into ministry. And I know some of you are going, oh, I didn't realize she hadn't been because she's been with us for over a year. Uh, and Peter as well has been with us for a while. Because of COVID uh, and the effects, we haven't been able to celebrate that. So we're going to celebrate that on Sunday, the 28th of November. Larry Schramm, our regional minister, will be preaching and he'll be sharing with us. And that's going to be a great day. But of course, that leaves us with four weeks today and the next three weeks before we get to that. So what are we doing? Well, you would have seen that image at the beginning of the service, good news in a world of fake news. Uh, this is what we're looking at over the next four weeks, good news in a world of fake news. And of course, for those of us who've grown up in the church, for those of us who kind of understand when we hear the term good news, we immediately think the gospel. And indeed, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is good news to the world. And so when we talk about that, we're talking about sharing good news. But when I say sharing good news, the word that jumps to mind is the word evangelism. You know, the Angus Reed Institute did some research around church life and some of the words we use. And it was interesting to discover that evangelism is one of the most scary words, both within church and outside of church. You know, in church, we have this view of, oh dear, I, you know, if I'm not preaching the gospel to every single person I meet, I'm, I'm not a good Christian. You know, outside of the church, it conjures up images of a, an experience that Cindy and I had many years ago. We were invited by a couple in our church to come to their house, and, and they said they they've really need to talk to us. There's something really important that they, they've, they've got to share. And they, they need us kind of there. And so in my naivety, I was like, yes, I'm the pastor. I will go. I will help. Not thinking maybe I should have asked them what was so important they want to speak about. And we got there, and it was a multi-level marketing scheme uh, that they were trying to get us involved in. You know, and, and for many of us, when we think of evangelism, or let me rephrase it, when the world thinks of evangelism, that's what they think. They think we're just trying to suck them into some multi-level marketing scheme or something like that. And so hopefully over the next four weeks, as we look at this idea of sharing our faith, it won't be something so scary, but instead it will be something that comes naturally, something that just flows out of who we are. And so for today and the next four weeks, we're going to spend time in Luke chapter 10. And it's really simple. You know, you don't need to ask every week where are we at. We're in Luke 10. For the next four weeks, Luke chapter 10, how do we share our faith without putting people off? How do we share the good news in a world of fake news? So that's where we're going. You know, as I kind of launch off this morning, I, I was reminded that often uh, army recruits or, or new soldiers, sorry, as they're going through their basic training, one of the things that's kind of drummed into them over and over is when you find yourself out in conflict, when you find yourself out uh, on a mission, make sure that you dig your foxhole big enough for two people. Never dig a foxhole that's just big enough for yourself. Make sure you dig a foxhole big enough for two. Because you never know who you might need to share that hole with. Who you might need to save as you make space for another person. 
Now, that might sound a little odd to kind of start, you know, there when we talk about good news in a world of fake news. But that's the image in mind. It's this idea of how do I make space for someone else? Instead of looking just for myself, instead of just thinking about myself, how do I make space for someone else? And that's what we're going to see as we dive into Luke 10. One of the themes that flows through this chapter is this idea of being missional. And what does it mean to be missional? You know, when we, when we think of missionaries, we, we are reminded that missionaries who go to a foreign country, missionaries who go out, they go with a clear plan. They, they research, they study about the area they're going to, they study the peoples, uh, they might need to learn new language, they, they prepare, they get themselves familiar even before they go. And they know that as they go, this may or may not work, but they prepare themselves. And then when they go, they go and they live among people. And they listen to them. They listen to their pains. They listen to their joys. They, they listen to their needs. And, and as they listen, yes, they pray. And they pray that God will lead them to reach. That God will open their eyes and open their hearts and open their ears to what's really going on. So that they might be able to share the good news. They research but then they go. And you know, that kind of, in a sense, makes me think of, isn't that what Jesus did with us? We read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, we read of the prophecy of Jesus coming and it says the virgin will be with child and the, child, uh, the, the virgin will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was Jesus' strategy for us. You know, we think of it in big terms. We think of for God so loved the world. We think of it kind of this global sense. And yes, God did love the world and Jesus did come for the whole world. But at the end of the day, Jesus came into a local community. Jesus took up residence in a community. And in that community, in that neighborhood, Jesus became, became relational. He was present with people. You know, when I was growing up uh, in one season of our life, uh, my brother Anton, his really good friend was our next door neighbor. Uh, and so they kind of became friends and, and hung out and, and got to know each other and, and became kind of just really close. And, and our family got to share a bit of life with their family. And because Anton and, and James were such good friends, Anton used to take James off to church with him because there was relationship. And he would go to youth and, and slowly the gospel penetrated into this man's life or into this young man's life. But it was really interesting because his two older brother, his brother and sister who were older also had a group of Christian friends. But these Christian friends treated the two of them like a project. And as soon as they realized these two weren't interested in that moment of becoming Christian, they just ignored them and left them and moved on. And of course, that made them even more cynical and critical about Christians. And this is why when we look at Jesus, Jesus sets this model for us. He becomes relational and he becomes into the presence. And this is the invitation for us as we learn from Luke 10. And just before we read Luke 10, I, I want to point out one thing as we read that. You're going to see Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. Or in pairs of two, I should say. Uh, now, don't think of this as a prescriptive model. 
And really what we're looking at here is a descriptive model because what Jesus is saying is when you go out into community, you need to go in at two, three, four or more people. Because as they see you living together and as they see you sharing Christ together, as they see you relating together, that's what will be part of that mission strategy. So don't think, okay, well then, Brian, I'll take my friend here and we're going to go down this street. Brian, you take your wife and you go down that street. No, no, no. It's about moving in and being relational. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. It will be up in the, the screen behind me. We're going to break it into four sections because there's a lot in Luke 10 as we look at verse 1 to 20. I, I'm not going to touch everything in that passage. I know some of your life groups are probably going to look at one or two words and look at one or two verses and have some great conversation on things that I might not touch on this morning. But there are four key thoughts that jump out for me from Luke chapter 10. And the, verse, the first thing that jumps out is this idea of presence. Not presence, as in Christmas presents. Presence. Being present in a place. Being present with people. Have a look at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. You know, when we read through those few verses, we often use that expression, the harvest is plentiful. We use that in, in prayer. We understand this image. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus sends the workers into the harvest field. When you and I pray that prayer, when we pray, Lord, the harvest is plentiful, send workers. Jesus says, sure thing, get up and go. We're the answer to that prayer. We go into the, the world. We move into the culture. And we bring the kingdom with us as we go. So that those to whom we become present begin to experience the kingdom of God. And they see the kingdom of God in effect as we live together in the midst. You know, there are many stories shared around evangelism. And, and many of them are spectacular. And, and we kind of go, wow, that's just incredible. You know, we think of the, the conference speaker who kind of sits on an airplane and shares with somebody next to them. And before they've landed, this person has become a Christian and wants to get baptized. And we go, wow, that's awesome. Or we hear of a preacher who goes to a restaurant and connects with the waiter and gives them this big tip and asks them how they're doing. And by the end of the meal, the waiter is a Christian. Or we hear of missionaries going into foreign tribes who've never been exposed to the gospel and, and the whole tribe becomes Christian. And we get kind of like, wow, those are really cool and really exciting. Can I tell you what? I hate flying. I'm as extroverted as they come. I love walking into a room with people I don't know because I know I'm going to leave with six new best friends. But every time I fly, because of stories like this, I sit down and I have this internal conflict because I know I'm going to speak to this poor stranger next to me. I know I'm going to get to know their life story. 
but I always feel like if I don't convert them, I failed. That's not what we're called to. Those stories are great, but that's not what we're called to. We're called to be present. And so when Jesus sends us, his disciples out, he calls us to be present in a community, to live, to do life. Yeah, sure, you might fly and sit next to a stranger who you're never going to see again. Uh, Dare I say, God has plans for that stranger. Don't panic. But you're going to see your neighbor pretty frequently. You're going to see a colleague pretty frequently. You're going to see some family members who need Jesus pretty frequently. And we're invited to do life and to be present, to, to enter into an ongoing conversation where Christ becomes just part of the conversation with us. You know, over the last 300 years when we've spoken about missions, for most of us, the mindset or this idea is it's about foreign missionaries going off to a foreign country. And in fact, we we thought to ourselves, well, we Westerners are Christianized, and so we send off to those that are not in in the West. And that's a terrible mindset, if you ask me. I think we made some terrible assumptions The whole point of being missional, the whole point of going on mission is to be present. It's to get to know. It's to invite friends around to watch a football game and to to laugh and to do life together. And yes, when the opportunity comes to share, but you don't have to preach. You don't have to get up on a soapbox. You don't have to give the four spiritual laws while you're handing over some chicken wings. You can just enter the conversation, bring Christ. You know, hey, my kid was at a youth camp last week, and they had a blast. They had so much fun. You know, I don't want to steal the thunder because, you know, they'll take it away, but they had so much fun, and I get to share that with somebody else, and they kind of go, oh, wow, okay, tell me more. That's what it means to be present. And so when Jesus sends us out, and when Jesus sends us to share the good news In a world of fake news, he's saying, go and be present and live as my disciples in that place. But Jesus doesn't only say, go and be present. Jesus says, bring peace. This is the second thought from this passage. If you look back at Luke chapter 10, as we read verse 5 and 6. Luke 10, verse 5 and 6. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. You know, oftentimes this idea of sharing Christ, it's kind of gone a bit skew because we've we've bought into this idea that, well, I've got the truth. I've got the gospel. I've got the good news. And, And yes, I understand that from Scripture. But we've entered into conversation almost in a militant and combative sense. It's a one-way conversation. I'm here to tell you why you're wrong and why you need to listen to me. Is it any wonder why non-Christians kind of try and deflect us? We haven't even heard where they're coming from. We haven't heard what's important to them and why those things are important. Or we haven't heard why they're skeptical of Christians. Because invariably it's because of people like us. And so Jesus says, I don't want you coming in there from this position of superiority. I don't want you coming in there with this idea of, well, I know all the answers and you just be quiet and listen to me. No, Jesus says, go and bring peace. 
bring peace. And when we think of peace, it's that Hebrew mindset of shalom. It's wholeness. It's relational wholeness. It's, it's emotional wholeness. It's spiritual wholeness. Jesus says, go and be an agent of peace. Bring peace into that place. It's more than just saying a word. It's more than just preaching the gospel. It's bringing peace. It's living in peace. And it means when I speak to somebody, even though we might have a difference of opinion and a difference of belief, I don't enter into an argument and a fight. I listen. Why do you believe that? Why do you view the world that way? Well, let me share with you why I believe this way. And let's chat. Let's discuss. And as we do that with that shalom, with that sense of peace, we will find ourselves far more able to bring the peace of Christ into that place. Because it's a gift of God. It's not a, a cheap sales pitch as we try and present something. And so we're invited, go. Proclaim peace, live at peace, be at peace. And, and when I talk about peace, you know, this is part of that illustration of going in pairs, going in two by two. You know, I don't know if you've ever had to share a house with a friend or, or share a space with a friend. You know, I think back to friends of ours who kind of moved into an apartment together and, and decided it would be cheaper and they would, you know, be able to share all the expenses Man, that stretched that friendship to the point that they realized we actually need our own places. And I wonder if Jesus doesn't do this on purpose. He wants us to go off together because it's going to be difficult. And as we live at peace with one another, that's what the world sees. The world is in turmoil right now. You know, with, with mask mandates, with vaccine mandates, the church is split and there are divisions as people, even within the church, don't want to talk to other people in the church because, well, that person has a mask on or that person doesn't have a mask on. Well, that person won't answer whether they're vaccinated or not. Or that person won't show me their passport. And we're divided. Is it any wonder why the world looks at us and says we're not really interested? Jesus says, live at peace with one another. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. We will never agree on anything. On, on everything, sorry. <laughs> Hopefully we do agree on some things. I mean, that's yeah, kind of hope for some things, you know, some, some ones. But we're never going to agree on everything. That's foolish to think that. But you know what? Even on those things we disagree with, we can be at peace with one another. We can love one another. We can support one another. We can encourage and defend one another. So instead of trying to argue with somebody who holds a different view, seek to understand why they hold that view. And offer grace. Because as we live at peace, Jesus says, that's what will build the church. Remember, that's what Jesus says. By this, they, the world, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, verse 35. So Jesus sends his disciples out to go and be present and to live at peace. And the third thing Jesus says to them, and this is my all-time favorite, Luke chapter 10, verses 7 to 9, Jesus says, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. I have the spiritual gift of receiving hospitality. <laughs> Luke 10, verse 7 to 9. 
Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. You know, for those of us perhaps not raised in the church, we might not fully understand this idea of hospitality. And, and I was just joking about I have the spiritual gift of receiving. Uh, Cindy and I love hosting. We love connecting with people because we understand how important it is. It's far more than just a fellowship meal after church, as important as that is. And I have it on good authority that next week, I think it's lasagna. It's going to be a great lunch. Do you want to be here for that lunch? But, but there's far more to it. You know, I, I firmly believe part of the reason why Jesus says practice hospitality is probably needed more so for us today than it was back here. In Jesus' day, people were very communal. If a stranger came into town, people would offer their home to them. They would welcome them in. Whereas for most of us these days, our home is an escape. For many of us these days, we don't even know our neighbors because we're in our little cocoon and we don't want anybody into this cocoon. This is my safe space. And so Jesus says, invite people into your safe space and go in turn into their safe space. Because there is something incredible that takes place when we share a simple meal with others. Some of you, when I talk about hospitality, you're starting to panic because you're like, well, does that mean I've got to roast something and cook something huge and then have dessert? No. Honestly, some people are perfectly happy just receiving some craft mac and cheese and conversation. It's the simple point of being together of inviting somebody into our space. And so Jesus says, go and practice hospitality because hospitality is something we experience together and it reveals who we really are. And there's just something beautiful about eating together. It's, it's a spiritual experience of God. Notice how often when you read through the Gospels, Jesus shares a meal with somebody or with a group of people. This is why sometimes I joke that, you know, we're Baptists. When we meet, we eat. Because we see it in the Bible. There is something to sharing a meal. And here's the thing. When we offer hospitality or when we receive hospitality, it doesn't mean that in that moment we're supposed to convert everyone around the table. No. We just live life. And we just share. You know, I, I haven't shared from the pulpit about one of my good friends for a long time. And, and I know you, some of you know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, he's skeptical of Christ and of Christians. He's not interested in Christianity for his own reasons. And, and we've gotten to chat more than often enough that I understand some of those. But he's also gotten to hear me and Cindy as we've shared some of our faith. And his wife and his kids are, are Christian and they're, they're involved in, in, well, not so much right now because of COVID, but he's just not interested. But as we've shared meals together, as he understands what's important for me and as we've gotten to know each other, you know, in the last meal we shared with him, he invited me to say grace and to give thanks in his house. Now, sure, I haven't led him to the Lord and I haven't baptized him and I'm still praying for that. I, that is going to be the biggest party on planet Earth when that happens. 
But even just that, Brian, will you give thanks for this meal? It's from being together. It's from being hospitable and and sharing around a meal. It's embracing strangers, and slowly those strangers become friends. This is what hospitality is. And so when you invite that stranger in, you don't invite them in as a project. You don't invite them in as, okay, if I don't convert this person, I failed. No. You simply say, God, you've told me to share. And so I'm sharing. And I leave the results to you as we practice hospitality over here. And for those of you who maybe wonder, well, I worry about what I'm going to say, then do what Levi did or what Matthew did in Luke chapter 5. You know, Matthew the tax collector. Often in church we talk about a Matthew party. Matthew meets with Christ in chapter 5 and he's, he's changed by Christ. And he realizes, as I follow Christ, I've got all these tax collector friends, all these friends who don't know. And so he invites them to a party and invites Jesus and says, Jesus, you talk. Now, in your life group, gather together and invite somebody around for a barbecue or go temp and bowling. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Just get together and celebrate together. Invite somebody over to watch a game and have some friends and just share. That's what hospitality is. And as I read through Luke chapter 10, as I see this idea of presence, as I see this idea of peace, and as I see this idea of hospitality, The fourth thing that jumps out of me, and I know we will all be able to do this in the Holy Spirit, is to celebrate. And as I talk about celebration, I'm going to read Luke chapter 10, verses 10 to 20. And there's a lot in there. And I'm avoiding some of it. I know some of your life groups are going to discuss and chat through some of that. But I want you to think about celebrate. Luke chapter 10, verses 10 and onwards says, But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yes, there will be those who reject us. And Jesus makes it clear, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me and they're rejecting the one who sent me. And we don't need to take it personally. And we can still be winsome. We can still be peaceable. We can still be present. So even if they've rejected, we can still be who we are. And as we love, who knows what might happen. But it's not us they're rejecting. 
So we leave the outcome to Jesus Christ while we remain faithful to his calling. And we don't celebrate that in the power of Christ we can do all sorts of incredible things. And even as we looked at the Holy Spirit last week and being reminded that the Holy Spirit will sometimes have us do supernatural things. That's not what we celebrate. We celebrate that there is a book in heaven. And maybe it's because I've watched too many Lord of the Rings and those kind of movies. But I just visualize this huge old library filled with every possible book. And right in the middle of this library is this huge kind of altar and this massive book wide open. And it's glowing and there's light on it. And this book is just filled with name upon name upon name. And in that book... If you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your name is in that book. Okay, people, I know we're Baptist. I know we're Reformed. I know we're conservative. I get that. But if your name is written in that book because you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, your name is there for eternity. Amen. And we celebrate because that is the one thing worth celebrating. We celebrate because we have life. And because we have life, that's what we share. That's the good news we share in a world filled with fake news. And what might happen if we practice the presence, the peace, the hospitality, and this gift of celebration? God will build his church. In Acts chapter 2, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Simply, as they practiced presence, peace, hospitality, and celebration. Oh God, that you would build your church here, that you would grow your church and that your church would expand in this community. Holy Spirit, send us out to go and be present in a world in desperate need of your presence. For as we learned over the last couple of weeks, your spirit is in us. Therefore, when we go, you are there with us. And tonight, as the world gathers and celebrates this thing called Halloween, and though we may have so many different views and opinions, still we're invited to be present and to bring peace where there is no peace and to be hospitable, to share. So that as we do that, God, we might have reason to celebrate as we celebrate your goodness, as you add to our number. God, we thank you that next week we will celebrate with a baptism, that picture of a life transformed. Oh God, that we would get to celebrate with many more because you build your church. We ask this together in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those of us whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, written for eternity, never to be removed. We join together and we say, Amen. Amen. Amen.